2: Hello and welcome to the Osher Ginsberg podcast. I'm Osher Ginsberg. This is a weekly conversation where my goal is to talk to guests that have a great story to tell and through their story, hopefully get inspired myself and you never know, perhaps inspire you too. Uh, If you like what I'm doing here, if you don't like what I'm doing here, either way, please tell me. I'm on Twitter, at Osher Ginsberg, O-S-H-E-R-G-U-N-S-B-E-R-G. Just let me know. If you do like the show, please, the greatest thing that you can do for me is to just tweet out or send a Facebook post that you're listening with a link to the show. Most podcast apps have a share button and I'll be sure to put a share button on the show page at oshigansburg.com. When you go there, click on podcast and click on the episode, this episode, and then just click tweet and take about eight seconds and it'll be the greatest thing you can do for me. So thank you so much. Apologize for the ambience. I'm, um, I'm back in Brisbane, so I'm on a back deck. Surrounded by um, the smell of a freshly mowed lawn and the fading smell of two-stroke, the sound of the southeast freeway, and I have a Labrador at my feet. So, um, yeah, it's pretty Christmassy right about now. This is pretty great. I've just finished up three weeks of breakfast radio at Nova in Sydney. It was brilliant to be a part of a team. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Had a really great time to work for a different uh, radio company that I've been working for before, and yeah, it was really, really good. I had a bit of an experiment while I was in Sydney, I, um, I didn't have a car when I was there. I rode bikes everywhere, or a bike. I went down to Giant Bikes, who are lovely and look after me. I went there, and um, uh, I picked up this fun little bike to ride around the city with, a little commuter, and got panniers, the bags you put on the side, or as my friend Mel would call them, saddle flaps. And, um, yeah, I got it down to, like, one Uber night a week to go out to a dinner or something that I couldn't turn up sweaty for. and But that was it. It was unreal the only drag was that none of the pants that i brought with me fit anymore so that's pretty good i'm looking forward to using it as a way to commute around before it was great like i could i could get anywhere that i was going faster than if i could drive hands down doesn't matter what time of day or night that i was driving or uh, riding i could travel faster on a bicycle than i could in a car and that's a fact it was awesome um if you do go to giant go and see joe Thu, Thu. T-H-E-W is his last name. He will fit a bike to you like a light cycle in Tron. It was amazing. He's good at what he does. Aside from that, I was doing heaps of yoga. I was trying to do yoga every day. Um, I'd wake up in the morning and I'd set an intention every morning. I'm waking. I tried to meditate every day. I was smashing the cow shakes every morning. And guess what happened to my anxiety? Wasn't really around that much. One, one day, it, it came out to see if I wanted to play, but other than that, it was it was pretty out of the way. Who'd have thought, you know? Living clean with a solid practice, a solid purpose, the old brain box doesn't really have any time or energy to wander towards the darkness. So, um, I'm going to try and keep that up because it's been really freeing, really freeing. Um, but if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. If, if, if that's the amount of physical exercise and preparation and chopping and blending and and meditating, and if that's what I have to do, then I'll do it um, because it's been really freeing. Like I got to actually, you know, wake up and go, "Oh, I'm awake," rather than yeah, "The sky's falling." So it was really good. Having said that, this morning was tough. Um, I normally get like this after I've finished a job. I have a bit of a oh, "What do I do now?" Um, but I actually, I had an email, uh, work-related email, that was a bit of a game changer and um yet i was able to accept the new information in the email as fact and then just not make any sudden moves while that information kind of filtered into every aspect of my operating system it was it was kind of interesting to just observe the squirmy little boy inside me bitch and moan and deal with the new info while i just just kind of watched and that's i guess that's the greatest gift that all the therapy and all the work and everything has given me is that I now have a place to observe my emotions and feelings rather than wholly be my emotions and feelings, which was no way to live. Sometimes it's quite uncomfortable, but, but you know, it's 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 going to be okay. So, um, I just want to thank everybody that's written in. I mean, I, I'm just telling you what's true. There's nothing that I'm telling you that's not true and um, it seems to be connecting with people. So, I'm just really grateful that, you know, you like it. I'm so stoked about how many podcasts I got to record while I was down in Australia. Um, so many great ones on the way. Uh, Michelle Laurie, Charlie Pickering, Jess Tovey, Ray Thistlethwaite, Carl Krzylnicki. I've talked to some amazing, amazing people. But let me tell you about my guest today. His name is Will Cape, His professional name is DJ Goodwill. And this is his brand new single, which is out worldwide on iTunes on the 31st of January. It's called Goodwill. Golden Times. He is arguably, I'm going to say it, he's arguably probably the most successful Australian DJ of all time. He sold over a million units of mixed CDs. He tours all over the world. He's a ruthless entrepreneur. He's hands down one of the nicest men you will ever, ever meet. Um, You can find out all the details about his tour dates on Facebook, facebook.com slash DJGoodwill. Uh, He's also on Twitter, real Goodwill. At Real DJ Goodwill, let him know you heard him here. Tweet him. Um, probably use a hashtag. That would be good. Hashtag OGP. That'll do it. Um, but yeah, let him know you heard him here on the show if you like him. We get into how we recorded this um, because when I was doing Bachelor a few months back, I was living across the street from Will in Bondi, and um, well, we talk about that. It was, but it was a really, it just happened one afternoon. It was a really excellent, really spontaneous conversation, which I'm really grateful that you can be a part of because I normally prep and prep for my uh, conversations that I have with people, my interviews, but you're about to listen to an hour of just riffing, and it's actually pretty great, I did kind of interview him a bit, um, but we reminisce about some pretty interesting things, we did record this some time ago, Will was expecting his first child when we talked, he's since become a dad, but um, it's really interesting to hear his perspective on that, he did mention as well that he's not going to tour again until New Year's Eve, well it's New Year's Eve in less than a week, and He's going to tour again Um, He's doing a tour of Brazil He's playing I hope I get the pronunciations right I'm sorry if I don't My Portuguese is terrible He's playing Friday the 27th of of December At The Door in Joinville uh, uh, Powered by Green Valley Uh, Saturday the 28th of December At Zozo in Rio de Janeiro Sunday the 29th At 180 Graus Ubatuba Beach in Sao Paulo He's doing New Year's Eve At Iabea Beach in Sao Paulo Ilha Bela Beach, I hope I'm getting this right, in Sao Paulo, and he's having two days off to probably breathe, and then he's doing uh, Pasha uh, Buzios when DJ Goodwill presents a year in house music on the 3rd of January, and the 4th he's playing the Serena Day Party in Buzios in Rio de Janeiro, so it's pretty excellent hearing him describe the dance scene in Brazil. I I can't wait for you to hear this show because we talk about the early days of, Wow. look, I know there's plane flying, planes flying overhead here in Brisbane, there's a Labrador at my feet, um, but I'm just stoked for you to enjoy this conversation with Will Kate, DJ Goodwill. Oh, and by the way, he asked me to talk all over this track because it's not released, so that's why I haven't faded my voice down. But it's a good track, right? Get it on the 31st of January, out on iTunes. my guest today is dj goodwill will kate we talk about what it's like growing up as a twin his exploration into the dangerous sydney underground rave scene as a 15 year old what it's like to be an expectant father his powerful thoughts on the responsible service of alcohol in clubs and how he's toured the world yet he's never once seen a fight in a club in any other country than australia Goodwill, Will Case. Hi, mate. Welcome. Thank you. I almost even feel like saying welcome back, but this is because we've already done a podcast together that was on Goodwill Radio. The Goodwill Radio. The Goodwill Radio. Mm -hmm. And now we're here on on this podcast.
3: Unplanned. We came up with the idea of doing a podcast together literally 15 minutes ago on my couch, ran across the road to your couch. Here we are. (laughs) Here
2: we are. Uh, So there's a lot of stuff that, if if you want to check it out, um, go on iTunes... And go and find The Goodwill Radio uh, and go and see episode one, which is you taking me to school on the interviewing technique front. But we, we also cover a lot of really interesting things about your career. Uh-huh. And uh, I guess the first part of of this interview, I guess, has already happened. So, mm-hmm. if people are wondering who this man is, by all means, go and check out the Goodwill Radio on iTunes, go and check it out, download it, subscribe to him, leave a comment, tell him he's great, tell him he sucks, I don't tell care. Tell me I'm shit if you want. It doesn't matter. We, uh, feedback is a breakfast of champions. Yeah. There's nothing that's going to make you put on a different record and a better record faster than the dance floor emptying. That's all I'm saying. Wow. It's you true. just come out of the gate swinging. I love this. It's true though. I'm refresh a course with if you right we never had, If we never had people giving us feedback, we'd just continue on thinking we were doing the best job ever. They say you've
3: got to be able to take criticism if you want to take a compliment. So ask for them all and just ignore the
2: criticisms. Or take what you can. Yes. Take what you can. So uh, the first part uh, of this interview exists on Goodwill's podcast, which talks a lot about how he got into being possibly the most successful DJ in the history of Australian DJing.
3: Huge. How did you just put that into words? I don't know.
2: Uh, Also how he's kind of... burst out into the international scene and, and pushing into South America in a, in a massive way. You've been to Brazil twice since we've last talked. I have,
3: and Ibiza and Portugal.
2: And Ibiza and Portugal. So I'm
3: exhausted. <laughs> so, yeah, no doubt.
2: So I highly recommend, I don't mind if you stop listening to this right now and go and listen to Goodwill's podcast, listen uh-huh. to that. It doesn't run well, it's like it's an hour and ten maybe. Mm-hmm. Go and listen to that and you'll get who, who is this incredible man we're speaking to today. Um, and my neighbour... And you can also hear about our, the most Bondi day ever. We should happens. tell that story on your podcast now.
3: Totes. We can double up on the stories. Totally. If it's, if it's, if it's about you, me, and Annalise Brackensack running into each other on Campbell Parade and it's that goddamn Bondi, you've got to tell the world.
2: Uh, so we all live in Bondi Beach, <laughs> which is um, a beautiful suburb in the eastern suburbs of Sydney. It's mm-hmm. possibly the most one of the most famous beaches in the world, I'd say. It's, mm-hmm. it's pretty fabulous. On a On a hot summer's day, there'll be 45, 50,000 people on the sand. Mm-hmm. It's chaos. It attracts a lot of creative people, a lot of industry people, a lot of people like to live here because you can seriously be surfing with dolphins in the morning and then go and make a meeting by 9 a.m. in town. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's incredible to live here. And the other day, uh, Will and I <laughs> would – I was down the street at the pharmacy, so I was out of there and I gave Willie a call So, hey, ma'am, I'd love to have a chat to you today. And he says, I'm in the laundry. So I walk out and he's in the laundry next door. <laughs> so I walked five steps. Hey, Will, good to see you. We walk further up the hill, a further 10 steps, and there at the Bondo Massive Cafe is Annalise Brackensack, mm-hmm. uh, a Bondo staple, international supermodel, very famous woman. Stunning woman. Stunningly beautiful. Gorgeous soul. Mm-hmm. Delightful, delightful, delightful. We got extra points because she was with a dog. Yes. She's with get her with her when she's walking her dog. And I think bonus points on top is then I watched you two sign off from the conversation going, I'll see you on Ibiza.
3: Yeah, of course. And as you were telling that story, I couldn't help but think there's a lot of people that judge Bondi, judge the people in it. But there's a, there's a whole parody thing, the Bondi hipsters. And if they could have seen the three of us standing outside Bondi massive cafe having a chat... That just would have ticked so many boxes for me. About
2: next week in Ibiza. Yeah, and I
3: could not give a shit. I love living in the bubble down here. I could not It's
2: great. I don't go go west of Flood Street.
3: (laughs) I take my passport when I go to the junction. I'm not afraid (laughs) to admit it.
2: So, uh, Goodwill, uh, for those who have not chosen now to go and listen to Will's the other podcast we did, Goodwill has been one of the... I've got a seminal DJs of the last decade in this country and has sold over how many million? Probably a million. A million it, units. It's almost a million, but yeah. A million CDs in mm-hmm. this country, uh, which is no mean feat for any musician in Australia mm-hmm. in a country of 21 million people, 22 now. It's pretty crazy for a while, eh? Uh, it's pretty pretty amazing. Um, but Will's a twin. I am. You really wanted to talk about that, don't you? I'm my, really womb, my womb mate. Your womb mate. <laughs> 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 He's my, um, yeah my twin So Matt What do you want to know About being well, a twin Well I'll never forget The first I think the first day I met you mm-hmm. I asked You remember show, I remember you showing me uh, Check out this invite For my brother's birthday I say, when's your brother's birthday He said oh The same day as mine Yes I was like oh wow How did your mum tell you apart And you said Easy, we're not identical <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: So that's called non-fraternal in twin world <laughs> um, Yeah, it's weird being a twin What would you know, like to know specifically The early years, what yeah. it's like now Yeah, yeah. Um, well, in the early years You don't know any different, obviously We've only had one time in our life Where I've sort of read his mind He asked a question without verbalising And I answered it That was our only spiritual How old were you? Oh, six or seven Did you um, both go whoa. Whoa. Or was it
2: only afterwards that you remembered that moment?
3: I kinda knew at the time that something was a bit weird. You spent a lot of time together when you're twins. Mum used to dress us up as Twiddledy and Twiddledum together uh, for the Easter parade. Um lot of dressing up the same. Um, what else?
2: Was it like uh, getting confused for your brother?
3: No, we don't look anything alike. We'd like to hardly even But look if you're like dressed alike. the same and oh. kids don't know and other people don't know you that well. Oh, if it's in the jovial sense and context of dressing your kids up like you know, dolls. It's really weird. Yeah, but we went to high school. Went to Sydney Boys High. My brother was in that school as well. Obviously, four other sets of twins in our year, and they were all identical. Far out. Which is weird. It's a big year. Two hundred people in the year. But I'm really glad I wasn't an identical twin. I'm not mm-hmm. judging identical twins, but that would be a tough. That's a tough one. Yeah, uh, that's a tough one. When people you've met fifty times are mistaking you for your brother. Yeah, that would be really
2: bad. You'd you'd, you'd have an identity crisis probably yeah right and so uh, what was it like kind of because I've got brothers I've got mm-hmm. one older and two younger. I wasn't really able to share the intricacies and ins and outs of growing up with someone who's exactly the same age as me. Mm-hmm. What was that like? He was more advanced than me in every way. He was a jock, and I was a nerd, so wow. he was kind of like a big brother,
3: so I was a smart ass in school, and I used to get in like fights all the time where you know jocks were trying to hit me, and he used to. He valiantly got me out of a lot of situations. So he was like a tough. He developed faster than I. So we did we did not look like brothers. Like at one stage, I was a coxswain in a, in the rowing. So I was thirty. That's six. now
2: just if anyone doesn't know what that is, that is the big long boats where all the men row at once, like you've seen in the the Social Network. The mm-hmm. the Winkle they their rowers, yep. and the coxswain is usually the really small kid who yep. sits at the very very back of the boat, going stroke stroke, stroke doing stroke, nothing really. Push
1: harder, push harder. That's correct.
2: They're half a boat length ahead. <laughs> Straight, straight, you really annoying It's always like a grade 8 kid It's like the smallest kid in the school they can find So year 9, 32 kilos My twin
3: brother what? Yeah, I was a midget I'll show you photos My twin brother playing front row forward in the rugby union team Wow So he's legitimately, what's that, two foot
2: taller than me? Even now?
3: No, I don't know, we're the same size now you We're caught both up. just gradually getting wider <laughs> But you caught up? Yeah, I caught up
2: Wow, so you were 32 kilos in, at 14 years mm-hmm. old?
3: I was a midget, man. I was a really skinny, unhealthy little boy. So, yeah. I just was, you know, going out to parties and stuff, (laughs) going to raves. I looked really young for my age, and my brother looked like a man. He was shaving before me, all these things. You always pull information out of me that I've never shared with anybody. (laughs)
2: It's my job, Will. Yeah. Uh, so that would have been extra weird then. Did you ever have any jealousy of that? Oh, big time. The jock vibe, yeah. The getting laid early
3: vibe, yeah. The, he musically talented. My brother's a musical genius. So I do music for a full-time living pretty much. Um, not really now, but he is the best guitarist I know. He's incredible. So... He was, yeah, he, was the guy. he was the guy in school that played the rock guitar, was in, the, was in all the bands and was in the footy team. He was a dude. I looked up to him actually. Wow.
2: Hmm. And now, if I'm not mistaken, he's doing some vocals on stuff with you.
3: Yeah, he does his sing on my next single. He's written the last couple. Um, he's done music for everybody, man. Like worked on Empire of the Sun stuff, Infusion, Pocket stuff, all GT stuff. He's written, done session recordings for a lot of people. Um, still does. What did you call yourself before? The person that has all those accessories.
2: Oh, okay. So, just for people, I'll tell you what Will's looking at. Will's looking at me, and from left to right, there's He's got a, a pair of V Motor headphones. He's got V-Moto a pair of headphones. There's, card. A, there's a one terabit hard, a USB hard drive. There's my MacBook Air. There's a Samsung Galaxy S4. There's an iPhone 4S. There's a Mac Mini. I'm mean, an iPad, iPad mini. At home, I've got an iPad 3 and I've got a, the big iMac. Um, there's a Frank Zappa record called Joe's Garage, which I highly recommend you listen mm-hmm. to. It's a story about uh, a band that a guy that goes wayward after he signs to a record label, and then ends up um, joining the church of Appliantology. Ah, uh, yes, that's uh, where you got it from. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, and the central scrutinizer is the narrator, which is Frank talking into a le- megaphone. This is the central scrutinizer. <laughs> you have it's... always talked about Frank Zappa. Zappa's you know that? amazing. So. <laughs> An Appliantologist is someone who gets sexual gratification out of small kitchen appliances. You clearly do that, but... On it's not sexual level. gratification, but yeah. It's ridiculous. It is It is ridiculous. ridiculous. What kind of mediations did you... Was it a challenge for your parents having to mediate between these two different energies? Absolutely,
3: because I was a wayward kid. I never got in as much trouble as my brother did because when he ma- he messed up, he messed up, obviously, whereas I was at raves from the time I was 15 every weekend going missing for... I think by the time my, me and my brother were born, my parents were like, let's just see how this one plays out without like pushing on them too hard because we were traveling an hour and a half across the town to go to school every day and there was a long leash, definitely. So what my, I'm pa- my parents didn't have to step in that often.
2: So what I'm really interested to in, know though is I was, I was the kid who hung out with kids like you. I was yeah. the kid who hung out with the guys that were ballsy enough to be the spearheads of that danger and mm-hmm. I just kind of tagged along. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't have to take the risk What was the scene like You're 15 years old What kind of parties Are we talking about What kind of raves Are we talking about Well I went to Sydney Boys Which I've already said So um, you, know, oh, you said that In the other podcast uh, Sydney Boys High School Is a, is a school, school, It's ties It's blazers It's all yeah. boys It's a school I went to one of these schools I'm unapologetic about it It's a school That your parents pay A, a fair chunk more money To go no, to No this is different It's a selective school Yours is selective i mm-hmm. say mine So you got chosen to be there Yeah Wow, I didn't. I got picked to go to raves. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you find out you are 15? I'm
3: pre-internet. Eastern Suburbs. I'm growing up in Gladesville. So pre-internet. And Eastern Suburbs is where the, where the hub of all that rave stuff was, Oxford Street. And there were wayward kids older than me going, hey, did you know that you can go to a warehouse this Saturday night in Alexandria and dance your ass off for 12 hours and pretend you're sleeping at your friend's place? And... Yeah, people were just raving about it. So I started going really early, like getting on a bus on Oxford Street and going to warehouses in the middle of nowhere. It was the best thing in the world. It was like a secret life for years. It was really, really fun. What were those What were those parties like? Crazy, disorganised, corrupt, very dangerous. But at the time, you don't realise all of those things. You're just like, there's a laser, there's a sound system. What do you mean... The people, promoters would just break into warehouses, steal electricity from the neighbours And then just DJ all night And there'd be legitimately three to 5,000 people at these parties every Saturday night It went forever And you didn't know the location till the night So you'd ring a 0055 number and Which is an
2: old premium phone mm, number Premium phone number and it
3: would tell you where it was But more often than not, you'd just have to go to Central Station Records on Oxford Street And get a free bus Because, of course, I couldn't drive and then there would be a recovery the whole next day at a club somewhere in the city and then you would go out again that night. It was amazing stuff. My parents, they knew at the time, definitely. And they probably didn't want to talk to me about it. I don't know. I don't, never really brought up with my mum, but she was definitely uh, really accepting of it. She knew it was all going on. Totally. She just knew I was so drawn to
2: it. She was, couldn't stop it. So I'm interested to know more about this because in Brisbane, that-, that... That's big there too. Yeah, I, I remember going to the Adrenaline Rave party mm-hmm. um, and seeing that Michelin Man was their logo. And mm-hmm. um, I remember going to those early raves. I'm talking like 92 for me early, but they'd already four or five years after they'd started in Brisbane. Because yep. all this kind of stuff was happening, but not to the extent. Everyone that was into that and wanted that had already left Brisbane to go to Sydney to find that.
1: Mm-hmm. It was it,
2: where it was all happening. Absolutely. Um, what kind of things were you seeing musically at that point in time? Were you seeing people that are now still household names or... No. Oh, not really. There's a couple... Pee Wee Ferris still DJs. I d- can't remember a lot of it. <laughs> For, and fair enough. We don't have to fill in the blanks here, no, folks. But, but if really, he's if he's staying out all night at 15, then all day, and then out the night, but next night, you can put them Yeah, I can't together. remember a lot of it. And um, as, my, Luke, as my friend Luke Higgy would say, you do the English.
3: <laughs> you do the English. <laughs> you do the English. You do the English. So I can't remember a lot, but it was, um, I'm still fond of all that music, but God, it was badly produced, and God, it was fast. It was a lot faster than house music now. It's like 140 BPM. Hard to dance to And there's a girl called Jade I don't want to get too nostalgic She used to come on in the morning And just
2: play all the girly anthem stuff She was just the best Sun would be up The crowd, I'm guessing The crowd is people drawn together by this music The biggest mixed bag you've ever seen in your life Kids my age Lots of gay crowd 40 year
3: olds Homeless people Bikies It was intense There's videos of all those raves on YouTube And it is like It's shocking to watch Baggy pants, sweaty, scared-looking people. It doesn't look enjoyable at all when you look at it. Um, but, yeah, it was amazing. And to be exposed to that as a kid, it's just amazing. I mean, it's dangerous as hell. I came out the right way. I'm happy to report. But, but yeah, there were some risky situations, dicey, dicey
2: situations. And how did that – because I remember going to those raves. I was, I think I was of age by this point. And I remember just, like, being really afraid mm. by scary things happening in, in rooms I didn't quite understand – <laughs> you know, going to the bathroom and looking at stuff and like, that's obviously some way I don't know about of taking a drug, but okay. All that stuff's fun to see though, right? That's that's the fear. The fear was the good bit, right? I was so sheltered though, I didn't really, I didn't understand. Mm. I, I, it was almost like the story that you hear of uh, Native people seeing sailing ships, square groups, sailing ships on the horizon and not even seeing them because they have no paradigm to understand what it is they're looking at. Mm, and so I felt a I bit like mean. that. I, I remember... Uh, the first rave I went to A girl who was talking to me And rooting on to me Bear in mind that I had no idea about women And if women found me attractive or not at the time I was <laughs> I was, I had a lot of issues um, Pulled a spoon out of her bag Yeah Yeah and Wow She pulled a spoon out of her bag So I'm going to the bathroom Want to join me Oh that was Brisbane wasn't it Yeah 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 And I was
3: like I don't even know what that is Oh god yeah I'm glad you didn't follow I her I just said no thanks Yeah I'm glad you didn't follow her yeah, yeah. My we, one of my memories actually. Now we're talking about people. People listening to this podcast might have gone to those raves. There was a guy called Silverman. He's a perfect example of the people you would become friends with at these things. He would go to every rave, head to toe painted in silver, and that was his thing. He would just dance, and everyone would go up and say hello to him all night. There were people that lived completely alternate personalities for years and years
2: at these things on weekends. They'd have day jobs, and then on the weekends they were an absolute freak. The I think the most Famous of those stories is one that revolves around the man that used to go to Mardi Gras.
3: Oh yes. That's really weird you're talking about that I was just talking to Friends in Ibiza about Troffman. He's passed away, unfortunately. Troffman passed away. Yeah, but I was talking to Friends in Ibiza and an English guy was drilling me about it, going, Is that a true story? Is that a true story? And there's a documentary if you want to look on YouTube. About
2: him. Yeah. This is a man we should we're talking about the Sydney gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras, which was colossal. Still is. Um, amazing I went to one I went to one in 2000 it was mm-hmm. 20,000 men at the, <laughs> R- the Royal Hall of Industries 6 I'll never forget it 6.11am because I checked my watch 6.11am and the DJ dropped New York City Boy by the Pet Shop Boys the sun was streaming through this through windows yep. and I had that moment where I was just lifted off my feet and you're like wow where am I this was it was just the greatest collective energy moment and it was just incredible anyway so Troughman Derived gratification from lying in the, not like in America where you have a separate receptacle for each man for urinals. In Australia and certainly in the older architecture, it's like one big giant trough. It's a long metal wall basically that men stand shoulder to shoulder against and piss against. Yes. Trough man used to lie there. Yeah, he used to love it. And begged people to pee on him. How was work tonight? It was pissing down.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's sounds <that's> much <what's... laughs> <laughs> you didn't know that one was coming. I didn't did you? know that one was coming, <laughs> but it's a whole thing in the gay scene. The whole that's—he's not a unique person in that.
2: So I don't want to offend anybody by making jokes about it. But he was the most famous version of it at dance parties.
3: But that's a whole thing.
2: I heard that after he died, someone took his place and he became trough Boy. There's whole parties dedicated to that stuff, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's really interesting because I've, I've worked with people who, when we t- when you talk about the old rave scene in Sydney, they go. Oh yeah, I was I was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, and um, you know, they're all BYO. There's no regulation, and Mm-mm. I won't say this person's name. I've been to a lot of moetographs. With your j- bombs of moet under each arm. Oh yeah, you could take your own booth. Just dancing, things. whole night. And he was high because people would leave you alone
3: there. That was the other thing. There were a lot of famous people, those things. People just don't care. It was definitely... Because I went to a lot of Mardi Gras, a lot of sleazeballs as well. I think that thing is you get caught up in it and it's nostalgia and it's pious. So you feel like you're a part of something that's really bleeding edge and really new. And that's what makes it infectious. That's what makes you go every week. And that's what... That's why you end up going for years because you feel a part of a culture and a scene, and no one else understands what it is. It's a
2: that you belong.
3: Looking back on it, it's basically were standing in a dirty warehouse, listening to music. Um, but when you're young, you can convince yourself of all sorts of things.
2: I went to one as a as a more grown man um, at a bowls club. A war part bowls club? No, it was somewhere in a dodgy suburb. Had, it was a mad racket party Oh my god And they had They black, just had their last one unfortunately They had the black plastic on the windows mm. It was in a bowls club There was purple carpet Marrickville. Yeah, that's where it was One of my
3: favourite parties in the world The two DJs that play there Ken Cloud and Simon Corwell, My two favourite DJs We spoke about it on my podcast My favourite DJs by a long way Just It was amazing Did you dance a lot? I did. Yeah, good. What yeah. saying? you got to go. That's. I mean,
2: unfortunately, they've had to stop that. But um, it was. But it was incredible. It was incredible to have that. We've put thick black plastic on the wall because this is how long we're going to go. We're yep. going to go until the you won't even know the sun's come up. So, how much of that informed the party promoting that you went on to do? Were you trying to replicate what you'd seen as a kid? I understood the energy you were trying to create. I suppose
3: it informed. um all of that stuff, going to raves and stuff and traveling so far to school and having such a long leash from the age of 13, essentially, um, informs an entrepreneurial spirit in the sense that you just got to, you can do anything, anything's possible. I think if I'd gone to a high school, there was an end of my street and it was a bit more controlled and and I was my parents' first kids, I would have ended up a completely different person. And... So yeah, I def- what I definitely got out of it and get- getting into the promoting thing was, yeah, creating that energy and that vibe. It's like chasing the first, you know, the first high. You're just like, let's get that back. It's impossible to recreate because the excitement you feel when you're a 15-year-old is nowhere near as, you know, you can't, you can't beat that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I did some really big parties. I worked with a friend of mine, Nick Law, on this party called NY2K, um, which is at Homebush at the Millennium New Year's Eve. That was a pretty good feeling. 15,000 people out there I put on the mobile home once at Bondo Beach One New Year's Eve I went to that mm. With Eric Merlot and Darren Emerson And Dimitri. Actually, Me and Nick actually promoted that Wow That was stressful That's when I quit promoting Because the guy who owned the home business Walked up and he said How was your DJ set? And I was like It was alright And he goes no it wasn't Because I watched you looking at all the security guards To see if they're doing the job Are you a DJ or are you a promoter? I went oh, I think I have to be a DJ and I quit promoting. Because I was watching the security guard not work, not well, like letting people literally jump over the fence because he was not watching properly, whilst I was DJing to fifteen thousand people. So like, this is conflicting. Yeah.
2: I remember so, that night. It was really it was a really fun night.
3: That's amazing.
2: Yeah. And they I mean, went on to have even bigger ones down here at Bondo Beach. Mm. So this is a party that it's New Year's Eve, it's down on the sand, humongous on the on the on the uh, balcony of the Bondo Pavilion. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable! Wow, unbelievable to do it She's, in your
3: own suburb too. To literally walk to work that night. Yeah. What did you do tonight? Just walk down the end of the street and
2: played to a few people. Fifteen thousand of them. They still do it every year. Well, it's great that there's a, an organised event down. At, you know, and I'm, I'm a big fan of that. But I'm I'm, I'm a big fan of. You know, I've been I've travelled a fair bit, and I and I think that the one thing that I living away from Australia has given me a bit more perspective on on the things that. The responsibilities we hand over to our government and our local and federal governments here versus elsewhere in the world. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because we've got a public health system or not. I'm not saying we're a nanny state, but we have everything has to be really, really permitted here, and we have to be really, really super careful. And to many personal responsibility, as in, you fell off that thing. Well, that thing is ten foot high, yeah. and you standing up there, you climbed up there, and you fell off it why are you suing me because I didn't have a fence around it? I totally know what you say. saying. And in other countries, it's very much like the, oh, you fell off that thing, sucks to be you.
3: Notting Hill Carnival last weekend. A million people in Notting Hill wandering the streets, behind buses, drinking on the street. You couldn't sue the council if you got yourself injured at that event. They'd be like, you shouldn't have come. <laughs>
2: And I think we, and as well, there's a few times in my life I've been kind of a bit regretful that we have that alcohol and violence are so mixed, so intricately linked oh, in that Australia. Sucks. I remember sitting on the beach in Israel. You know, <laughs> must have been four thousand people on the beach. They have all these bars in Tel Aviv, which are all kind of like side by side, and there was three or four big screens up, and we're watching the Euro two thousand eight. Finals mm-hmm. Alright And it's Germany versus Turkey or something Oh no, it was a semi-final It was Germany versus Turkey Three or four thousand people on the beach Everyone's drinking Everyone's cheering People are cheering for Germany People are cheering for Turkey No one's fighting Because they don't drink the fifth beer That's No one's I, They had the no fourth one I not know people were going for it Were they? But it's just not in their Paradigm to Now we have to fight mm. It was just Let's just have a drink And and then we'll watch your football together. And isn't it great to be out here next to the Mediterranean watching a football game? Let's go home.
1: Yeah, there was I'm no envious of that. Would man. you
2: fucking say? There was none of that. Which you see here so much to the point whereas, like I know Jon Stewart talks about it a lot, that he gets sad every time you see sees a freeway overpass with a fence around it, because yeah. one kid somewhere threw a bowling ball into a car. Not thinking of consequences. Therefore, everyone has to deal with this lowest common denominator. Thing. And I just like, as far as the, and, and I know I'm going a long way to say this, that the hindrance puts on putting on a community event is what I'm saying. Yeah. Is that we can't just have a spontaneous community event. Well, I'm just going to put a little stage down there on this hill and people can just chill out with their kids and enjoy themselves. But no, just in case some yobos turn up with a couple of cans of woodstock and start throwing things, we have to have this many security guards per person. We have to have... Uh, bl- it's bl- bl- ridiculous bl- 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 because
3: one person took a liberty and did it badly. Everyone has to pay. That's the thing I... Um, don't miss about promoting at all is the hoops that I have to watch on my promote successful promoting. A lot of my friends, a lot of my mates put on some of the biggest festivals in the world now, and watching the hoops they have to jump through is ridiculous, the litigious side of that. And back on the violence thing just quickly, I can – weird thing about when you were saying that, I was thinking, based on all the countries I travel to, where do I see fights? I can guarantee you every time I DJ in Australia, I'll see a fight. That's a fact. Every time I DJ, yeah, pretty much – I saw a fight last Saturday in the Gold Coast. I saw one in Brisbane before I went to Brazil. Every time I did-
0: imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.
1: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
3: Deja say a fight, whether it's inside the club or outside the club. I haven't seen a fight in an overseas nightclub in my life.
2: So, there you go. That's actually a fact. And let's talk about the countries that people may have some perceptions about that uh, about. Brazil,
3: never seen anyone get mugged, never seen anyone get stabbed, never seen anyone get hit in the head. And I did 45 shows there probably in the last year and a half. I'd um, Ibiza, never seen a fight. I know a lot of them happen in, t- in parts of the town I don't go to. Never seen a fight in a nightclub anywhere in the world in my life, but I see one every time I go to a club in Australia. And we're talking to give people overseas a perception glassing is a thing. And just God. And it's an Australian term, which I'm going to talk about now, which means you're at the bar. Wait,
2: wait, wait, wait. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It means what?
3: You're at the bar and you don't like the person next to you. So you grab your schooner glass Smash smash it on a bar And put the crushed glass into the guy's face Deforming his face for the rest of life We live in a country where they've stopped serving alcohol in glasses Because that's a thing Like that is Glassing is a thing So Don't want to be a bad ad for Australia But I live and breathe this stuff every weekend And it
2: but what can be done about
3: oh, it? It's so upsetting. I will probably have a lot of friends that work in the alcohol industry that would kill me for saying this, but I believe that shots should be banned. A lot of clubs have-
2: Shots are talking like small
3: little shot glasses. Yeah. Yeah. In Australia, I do honestly believe they should be banned. I think RTD drinks shouldn't really be served after a certain time of night.
2: RSA laws here are great. I think I believe. Responsible service of alcohol res- respons- and R T D is like a Vodka cruiser of a, a pre mixed drink in a bottle.
3: Yeah. So yeah. So with the alcohol pops, the stuff that makes it really easy to drink alcohol, I totally think they should be half the alcohol volume that they are. And they should definitely not be serving shots in any nightclub, I don't think, anywhere. A lot of people are gonna kill me for this because I work in the alcohol industry. But and, and also they shouldn't be serving alcohol in Glasses in a lot of clubs and it ruins somewhere like the Ivy which is a beautiful thing that Justin Hems has built it's a stunning venue in Sydney and you get served a, at something in a plastic cup he a must,
2: $17 drink I
3: know but he must kill himself cup. over that because like that has nothing to do with my vision but because there are a certain amount of fuckwits that get manage to get into clubs every night they ruin it for everybody what so, can be done about it how do you um, change
2: that culture of violence
3: I don't know if the lockout system works in the Australia we have a system where if you've like by 1 or 2 a.m., if you've left the club, you can't come back in. I have no idea if that works. I knew Newcastle was the first place to do it. I don't think that works because then you're just going to get drunk people wandering the streets and it's a stupid it's idea. It's a society-wide thing, I think. It's just stupid. I think the culture is in Australia, it's go hard or go home and that's a real shame. And I think if you can just drink beer all night and be a normal person, then go and do it. But, yeah. Yeah. Stop your mate that gets in fights drinking the shot would probably be what I would say. If you're going out with
2: a friend and he's gotten a fight last week, don't let him have a shot tonight. Because <laughs> it's going to ruin your night too. Oh my God. You yeah. might be on the pool. You might be ready to go. She may be just about to come home with you. Mm. Oh, hang on. I've got to follow him down to the police station.
3: <laughs> never thought I'd verbalise this to anyone. But I've actually just, that is a big thing that I've just pulled out of myself, which is I've never seen a fight anywhere else in the world, but I can guarantee <laughs> you I'll see, see one this weekend. That's really weird It's because I'm out so late But, um, but you're out late in every country mm. Never seen a fight You played a seven hour set in Brazil the other day Never, feel, I know, it was so good Never felt in danger in another country in Brazil really In, in a nightclub environment Yeah,
2: seven hours is good, huh? That was a, that was a record well, we'll talk about that in a bit But I remember <laughs> I definitely remember And we talked about this on, on your podcast uh, uh, At I am DJ I am Goodwill Is that your tw- Twitter name? Yeah, real DJ Goodwill. Real at real at real, real DJ. DJ Goodwill. I'm totally back on Twitter too. So just hit at me. At real DJ Goodwill is where you can find Goodwill um, and hunt down his podcast, the Goodwill Podcast. You can hear us talking a little about my experience with this sort of thing. But I'm just remembering when I was a roadie, the violence that I saw mm. was just horrendous. I'm 17 or 18, and just watching giant grown men full of double op, rum and coke. Oh, just God. Bundaberg Rum and Coke. I'm getting hey, anxious. we've got sugar and caffeine. Why don't we just throw a shitload of alcohol in there mm-hmm. and then drink ten of them? <laughs> let mm. the fun. And then put less women in the club than there are men, and let the fun begin. Mm. Um just I just saw horrendous horrendous things, particularly in the country pubs, where before CCTV and before security guards had numbers. Just some of the stuff I saw was just.
3: Oh, Yeah. And I'm a kid. It's palpable. You can feel it in the air in Australia. You know it when it's going to kick off. Oh my god! Yeah, that's a weird thing. Do other people in other countries
2: finally tuned into that as we are? I, I've, I've I can't. been in a, i I've been in a riot in another oh, country, right? Uh, which was terrifying. Mm-hmm. I thought we were going to die. Absolutely, thought we were going to die. Legitimately, our cameraman got very badly hurt, quite injured. You could tell it was coming. You could feel it coming, like the water sucking away before the big wave comes and crashes down on you. You could feel it, and we oh. couldn't, but we couldn't get out before it, the crowd tipped. And it just takes one moment. I've seen dance floor wide brawls. Yeah, I've seen like DJs just stop sets and the house lights go on. I'm going to snap everyone out of it. I'm not going to name the club, but
3: it's in Victoria. I DJ'd in a club one night. There's only 100 people there, and 50 of them got in a brawl. And they all jumped behind the bar and started selling booze, and they all got kicked out. 15 minutes later, they were all back in the club. And I said to the manager, What are you doing? He goes, Mate, they're all irregulars. We can't ban them. Otherwise,
2: they won't come next week.
3: <laughs> so, yeah, they can just get away with it, I suppose, in a lot of places.
2: Here's the thing, though. There was a point, and, and we're old enough to not remember a time when. You could serve. You could take into the Brisbane Cricket Down, the MCG, uh-huh. the SCG, as much beer as you could carry. Uh-huh. Long necks, big, tall beer bottles in the biggest uh, cooler or rescue that you could carry, yep. and you could sit there and drink it all day, no problem. Yep. And then we've lived into a time now where then they went from you banned that, but they sold full-strength beer at all the bars and there was a lot of problem with the day-night matches and there's a lot of problems with violence at those things, a lot of problems with like sexual harassment and horrible things. Now, you can't get a light beer. You can only get a light beer. Unless you're in the members. Unless you're in the members at any of those big grounds. Yeah. So, we've seen it there. Why don't we see it in the nightclub situation?
3: Because people wouldn't go to the nightclubs. Because you're going to see a, a sporting event, you'd probably go if they had no alcohol. Um, or you just get drunk beforehand But people want to go to discos They're not really there to hear music, man They're, they're going to get drunk and pick up yeah. So they wouldn't go They would just go to the bar or whatever Yeah. Mm. I've been a kid in six weeks And now I'm really worried How do I stop him getting in the
2: biff? Am <laughs> I going to have to move <laughs> countries? <laughs> I think this is I think this is really interesting And I think it's a society-wide conversation That we, oh, we, we have to have
3: The more that we talk about it The more I realise that I actually have a responsibility To talk about it to somebody Because... I'm the one seeing it every week.
2: And it, you're in a far better position than I am to do something about it. Yeah, I could get my – I should literally put my gloves on and get out there and sort this out. I don't know about that, but you can, <laughs> you can stop sets. You can get on a mic. You I can do that every people. time. I've yeah. done
3: that a few times. I remember I was DJing at a festival. Benny Singer was DJing, and there was probably 7,000 people in the tent. I've done a few really stupid things about to stop fights in my time. So – Um, Someone threw a bottle at Benny I think it might have hit him on the shoulder or near him And I walked out, stopped the music, grabbed the microphone I said, everybody in this tent right now Point at that guy in the black hat and boo him And tell him he's a fucking idiot 7,000 people turned and booed at this guy Going, shame on you, shame on you That was a good moment all the time, I stop. Every time I see a fight in a club, I stop the music and go, if you're here for that, then get out. But when I do that, I risk that guy waiting outside the club and punching me in the head.
2: Well, that's why you've got security to take you. To oh, you got to make
3: sure there's a lot of security around when you arc up like
2: that. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and But it's, I, having been on a mic at any of those big Channel V events as well mm. that we used to do, I used to work for a music television channel here in Australia and we would basically, it was the funnest <laughs> Funnest, some of the funnest television I ever made. We had a, a staging truck that would just would drop down like a transformer and a whole stage would fold out of it. We had a band bus, we had a crew bus, we had um, uh, and a satellite dish and we just basically rolled out, unfolded, set up in a field in regional Australia, anywhere between 300 and 3,000 kids would show up and we would go live for two hours. Amazing. And it was unbelievable. And some of those places were we were the only entertainment that had showed up in 18 months or the great ocean road or something yeah like that. yeah, absolutely and so and people would bring their own beers and we mm-hmm. had security and we got local security but occasionally there'd be something would go kick off because you got a microphone you can change a crowd's dynamic like that yeah. you really can you have that ability and shaming always works like yeah. it's a big anti-bullying technique call a person out you're being a bully I you know, can, that works I could blame entire genres on it too Dubstep <laughs> Really? <laughs> no, 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 no I'm not
3: going to do that Is I there just... violence associated with no, it'd that that No, would be a great way to stop people um, playing it though <laughs> 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 Hey, speaking of Channel V
2: yeah.
3: I totally just had a brainwave Let's bring back Room 208 I want to <laughs> DJ on national television every Saturday night I used to love coming and doing that show It's
2: an expensive show to produce We need to sell it
3: Was well, it expensive? How come I... that's expensive?
2: It's live yep. You need to pay 20 crew to do it Yep that's so a tape op, deco cast, all the third line yeah, supers, four cameras, stuff I don't get. directors. It's not cheap, mm. but we could totally do it. It was so fun to do You'd it. You have to, it, you could sell it. Yeah. You could t- if you can sell it in, if you can sell a sponsor in, mm-hmm. I think, because that's the other thing that about Channel V, which was this music channel that I used to work at. We were doing interactive television and using SMS, MMS, email. Way early. We were doing live SMS polling in 2002. Who was behind all that? Life to Earth. Who was buying it? No, who was behind it? Who were the people at V that were in the background Uh, doing the awesome stuff? They're really, really smart people. Some Mm -hmm. of them work at MTV UK now. Some of them still work at Channel V. Um, Some of the integration guys went on to create um, their own companies and and, and work bringing music and artists and, and clients together. Um, they're Ooh, all. We were lucky to have that here, man. Brilliant, brilliant people. Mm. And this is miles before even Twitter was even thought about. Mm. And and so, Room Two Hundred Eight was a dance competition. It was a. It was uh, do you know how? Do you want to know how Room Two Hundred Eight started? How did it start? Uh, So, let me just finish explaining. Basically, Room Tour is a dancing competition. You would turn up at our studios, which is a three-walled studio in a a big uh, open shopping mall, Mm -hmm. basically like the Third Street Promenade in Los Angeles or the Queen Street Mall in Brisbane or Burke Street Mall in, in Melbourne. And uh, people would line up all afternoon to be on it and we would select the best, we, the producers would select the best, kind of most vibed up people to be on it. They would give them names, stick a name on them. It was a dancing competition and basically people would text in Uh, their comments and vote for the best dancer and the best dancer would win the prize of the night, whatever the prize was. It was just bonkers. And it was awesome. And every time I got the call to DJ, I would be like,
3: yes, I get to go do this show again. It was amazing. And everyone that was working on the floor of that show was so much more excited than any other shows that they
2: worked on. Everyone had a vibe. Yeah. every All the producers and everyone was like, yes, we can't believe we're doing this. It was so it good. It was amazing. So let me tell you the story about how we came up with that, how, go. That, how that show got invented. I've been working at Channel V for 99 less than a year. Mm-hmm. It was the first station-wide conference that we went on. We used to go away, we'd take the whole station, everyone at the net, at the channel would go away, we'd book out an entire uh, hotel or or whatever like uh, uh, and this one was in a place called Bowral which is in the Southern Highlands out of Sydney. I would so love to live there. 45 50 people taking over this entire venue. Mm-hmm. All right. You take that many people away in the music industry, yeah. parties are going to happen. Shit goes down. So, And then we would have these giant brainstorming sessions during the day and we would come up with all these incredible ideas and, and uh, the, like basically steer the direction of the channel for the next, uh, the next 12 months. We had a very visionary general manager at the time, Barry Chapman, who when he was 26 was the manager of a station called 2SM uh, in Australia, uh, an AM station. And you can win a radio survey now with 11 maybe – percent he was getting 23s 24s like out of control like the voice of the generation huge he was 26 when he was doing this in the 70s so getting to and here's the man that took triple j national really fascinating man to work with i was really inspired by working with this man um that night we had a party in Jabba's room Jabba being Mm -hmm. the uh uh, at the time the hand solo of of uh, Channel V. He was like, "Oh, particularly live TV." He was, he was amazing. Natural. He was he was there when I got there. I was like, "Oh my god, I get to work with this guy." Mm. He's been doing it since it was Red on Galaxy. We had a party in Jabba's room, and it was insane. We're out of control. Out
3: of control. Okay, how many of those details can you tell? Not many. If uh, any.
2: I was handed a lot of things that night. <laughs> a lot of things came into my just all of us together. Just enjoying the fact that, my God, this is what we do for a living yeah, This is our job, we create this We are a part of this culture, this music scene We're creating this show And that is so important for Barry to put us all together And let us get fired up about, we get to do this This is what we do, it's really important that we tell this story And this feeling in this room is what we have to share with everyone Because we're, we're young and life is great And music's fun and sexy and television's awesome and the party was insane. <laughs> the music was unbelievable. Everyone was dancing on the beds. It was just bonkers. Guess what number the room was? Room
3: 208. Room 208. Wow. 208. Is
2: that true? That's absolutely the So that there's show- There's many details I can't share with you, but sh- you can put two and or two, two, or two together. Um, <laughs> the highlight a- <laughs> of the night was we were running out of- We'd push all the beds up against the wall so there was more room to dance. Mm-hmm. But then, as the room started to chill, people having to start to sit on the floor. But mm-hmm. there wasn't enough room for everyone to sit. Uh, people didn't want to sit on the floor. So Greg Sweeney and I, Greg Sweeney, who's now working in Dubai, uh, producing an, an MMA uh, reality show. What? The, yeah, yeah, totally. He was I working. At, he was working at Viacom, MTV UK for a long time. Greg Sweeney and I went to the reception. Of this motel hotel that we were staying at, and we started pilfering the mo- receptions couches, walking them through the entire property, and then through the corridors and up the stairs and down the stairs, and we started moving furniture into this room.
3: Unbelievable uh, for the chill out portion of the evening. And who was the person that said, "Let's do an homage to this this night and turn it into a TV? well"? If you
2: remember, the very early episodes were Jabba and yep. Yumi, mm-hmm. and it trans it it. it and in a perfect, perfect way, Mike Carey, who now produces the the Loop mm-hmm. on uh, on Eleven, yep. which is on channel- in Australia, it's a music TV show. Mike Kerry had a vision to let's let's tweak this a bit. Let's uh, here's an idea we can we can go a bit better. If you watch the very first episode, which I don't think I can because it where, has where would it's I on YouTube. Him? I'm sure you can find it. It's Magic Dirt, we're our band, Magic Dirt, a seminal Australian uh, alternative band from the '90s. Magic Dirt miming. Rat Cats Don't Go Now. Oh, my God. That's perfect. While um, (laughs) belly dancers danced with star filters on the 70s star filters on it. That's fantastic. Because what we wanted to do was just capture the vibe in that room and and, and just broadcast that. It's like, yes, let's all share this feeling. And I'm pretty sure that's the feeling you're talking about when you watched (laughs) or played on Room 208. (laughs) Yeah, that's right.
3: If we can find that, I'll teach you how to embed that into the podcast so people can just click on that right now. I'll put it in
2: the show notes. Yeah. Will Kate's Kate's teaching me. He's taking me to school on on podcasting, which is really interesting. I want to take everyone to school on it because it's just everyone should be doing this. It's great. I love it. I'm thrilled to be a part of it. And I'm I'm stoked the feedback's been amazing and everyone's really interested. And it's really, I'm really, really thrilled to to do it. So um, the last thing I want to talk to you about Mm -hmm. is um, you are. I'm going to put this out before it happens. Yep. You're about to become a father. Yes. What? Tell me the moment when you knew. Um, what, what happened? What went through your mind? We, we, I don't know. We weren't really trying. We're trying on and off. And so you were pulling the goalie, then you weren't pulling the goalie. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, sorry, it's a very American term. <laughs> yeah, I should, I should describe no, it. I know the term. If you're a soccer team, if you're playing professional soccer, and you are like less than three minutes to go and it's two nil. You can pull the goalie or, or, or hockey, you can pull the goalie out of, as out of the goalkeeping spot and he can play as a regular team member. So you essentially have one more man further out. So mm-hmm. that's the idea is you're, you're pulling the goalie, but it's very, <laughs> it's, a, it's a
3: manager's decision <laughs> to pull the goalie. goalie. We were definitely not being careful, if that's what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, um, it was, yeah, we can't actually know the data. We kind of do, but we, um, it was the first time when both of us had relaxed in ages. I took Marnie on that Swedish house mafia tour. They came out here, and then there was a couple other things around them where we like actually just relaxed. My wife works really hard, just totally like everybody's story. They're trying or not trying, but when they both when both people are relaxed, it happened. And then when we went to get the scan, it's the freakiest thing in the world. But how, what about when she said? I think I'm pregnant. Yeah. We went down and got the pregnancy test from the chemist and then she went and got another one. Natasha, the one down the corner? Yeah, totally. She would have been like, oh, I can't believe they're doing that. Um, Yeah, so we did two of them and it's um, as we found out then, since then, they're 99% real, those things. Like 99% right.
2: What was your reaction?
3: Um... I've wanted it for a long time. a an executive sort of person, so she's probably not been able to fathom taking the time off work. I've wanted it for ages. So it was immediate excitement followed by absolute fear and dread and then just going up and down between those two things for the last seven months. Unbelievable. Like I wake up every morning and I'm either really excited or the most scared I've ever been. And I go to bed that way as well. It's really full on. Like... How much stuff, for people listening, do you not know about having a kid until you have a kid? Like if you told me you were having a kid, up until then I would have gone, here's a beer, congratulations. But now when someone tells me they're having a kid, I'm like, how fucking heavy is this shit? (laughs) Like, There's so much to it. So much to it. Do you want to hear the two most fascinating things I've learned about pregnant women? There's a black line. Have I told you this one? No, I've seen it though. There's a black line down the front of a pregnant woman's stomach. And that is there because in ye oldy times, the baby would need something to look for when the baby first came out to climb up the stomach to the mother's breast. That's amazing. St- that's a true story. And uh, you can look that one up. The second most amazing thing I've learned about pregnant women is that when the baby comes out and they put it onto the skin, the, the mother's breast, to relax, the woman's body adjusts its, bo- its core temperature to keep the baby at the, degrees that the baby should be so if the baby's two degrees under the woman's body will heat up and if the baby's over it will cool down i bet you didn't know those two things i bet a lot of people (laughs) didn't. i do now yeah you're just taking me to school they're baby facts i'm amazing i'm painting cribs i'm yeah it's the most exciting thing i've ever done how's it changed your attitude to getting money in the door no more time for bullshit All the time waste is gone. The day I found out, I don't have time to help that person with their music. I don't have time to work on this business that's not giving anything back. Both of us were just like, okay, well, we're 37 years of age now. All this stuff that we no recreational work, like let's build better things and totally changes your perspective. I hate to think what it's going to be like once I've got a kid. I'm going to turn into a complete arsehole, I think, because I'm going to be like, I'd make my own people. Why do I need to talk to you? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know
2: I mean? <laughs> oh, that's really good.
3: <laughs> Screw you, I make my own people. Can't you see? Um yeah, you you really you, I mean, I've seen all my friends go through this. Oh. They when they have a kid or the, their wife gets pregnant, especially when the when the guy's out doing a million different things as opposed to just a nine to five job, you cut you cut all the stuff out that you shouldn't be doing really quickly. So it's been a really good yeah, it, good in every way.
2: I think it's it's you know, I kind of look forward to it. Mm-hmm. And I, I and I'm not married anymore. I was definitely ready for it when I when I was married, uh, but it wasn't right. Um but I look I look forward to that. I saw it with my big brother. Mm-hmm. Um and I see and I think it's important as a man. I used to worry, you know, when I was a kid, uh you know, my loose, loose neighbours, you know, big brother or whatever, he I mean, was always like a yeah, he's, fucking, he's a legend. Look, <laughs> he's at him, a, he's look at him fun. do that. He's just a sick, he's a, he's a wild man. He's it's just, a bloody legend, mate. He's just cutting sick. Look at <laughs> him, he's cutting sick all the time. And I'd be like, what happened to him? He got boring. Yeah. I didn't realise that he was just going, oh, oh, it's time to stop being a man child. Yeah. I now have this chance, this opportunity to take this laser-like focus and apply it myself mm-hmm. with the true potential that I've had the whole time. Uh, <laughs> To something that I've never never done before. Mm. It's a huge thing.
3: And you it's, the, you, it's also the biggest cause, cause of unsolicited, unwanted advice of anything I've ever done. It's akin to getting married. It's like, I'm having a baby. Oh, here's my 50 bits of advice. But you know what's fascinating about that? Guys go macro or micro. So you'd be like, well, what is your advice? And they'll either say don't turn on each other or they'll go, really, Michael? And they'll be like, get these nappies. It's been really, really interesting to see the way it affects people. Yeah, it's totally, yeah, changed me completely and I haven't even had the kid yet. So if you ask me in a podcast in a few months' time, which I will, I'll probably fall asleep in the middle of the question and then I'll go, hey, it's great. But you're used to odd hours because you're a DJ. That's what all my DJ friends that have had kids say. They say, you think you're ready and then you're not. Their tip, Marnie, turn the podcast off now. Their tip was stop getting those 10 a.m. flights home. Start getting like the 1 p.m. ones from home because <laughs> those three hours that's in omissive. Melbourne in the nice Prince of Wales hotel bed, savor those ones. Marnie, hope you didn't hear that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's Willie's that's wife. That's, that's Will's wife. Um, so just before we get out, I want you to tell me the other night uh, it was fascinating watching you live tweet it. You played, and you talked in, when we talked last, you talked about how not only do you do transcendental meditation, but you find the trance-like sets, the longer your sets go, you get into this really remarkable kind of zone, this yeah. almost meditative zone. It makes me sound completely pious, but it's so true, yeah. No, not at all. I think it's, it's fantastic, and I think if I was watching a DJ, I'd much prefer to see that man than a man checking the security guards. Yeah. But... A seven-hour set, man. That's, That's like incredible. six and a bit. Still. Because if you lock in – because I just
3: get locked in now. It's really weird. I was telling – I wasn't even really drinking this tour and I don't know. It's really good, man. Like I just get into this – I definitely get into this state now after hours sort of three or four where it's like, okay, I'm only thinking a record ahead from now on because I don't know when I'm going to finish. I'm definitely not going to – I'm going to Instagram every couple of hours a photo of my stopwatch to like keep track of it until it's just – I don't remember that I did it um, I can't remember it. It, the, it The first hour feels like an hour And the next six hours feel like five minutes It's really weird What's the crowd do? I have to put my USB stick And I use a thing called record box, Which I'll have to show you one day And you can put your USB stick into your computer And it tells shows you what records you played in what order and the next day when I plug my USB stick, and I had two drinks the whole night this night, the next day when I plug the USB stick in, that's the first time I remember what I played. I've completely forget what I play. It's we weird. you're
2: so in the flow state. Yeah,
3: it's really weird. I can't do it in Australia because I don't think the audience are quite patient enough. But in Brazil, they're just like, give me everything you got, let's go. And I can just do anything, take risks, you know, do the whole thing I've always wanted to do,
2: basically. Now, can you get that? Can you do that? Because is the what role does the crowd play in a seven-hour set? They're
3: into staying out late. Weirdly, they're not so much into drugs. They're. I've started sets there at five a.m. This one was three a.m. They are just into staying out late. I went to a party a couple of trips ago where I, I was. I saw my itinerary. And they're like, you're on at five a.m. and it's a, you're the headline act. So what are they doing? You got there and they were literally just standing there listening to this other guy DJ, probably not dancing as much as they should have. And then when I went on, they just went crazy. It's like the main act comes on at five. They love staying up late and they're a lot straighter than other crowds I've seen in the world. It's just amazing. Straighter? Like not on drugs really, not that I can tell. Um, And not really that drunk. They're just into dancing to beats. They grow up with carnival and stuff. So they're into dancing outdoors to beats. It's in their blood. Are
2: they better dancers?
3: Oh, absolutely. The guys and the girls, like it's just ridiculous. They don't need podium dancers in Brazil because all, there's enough to look at. It's amazing. Um, and they leave you alone there too. you have never had a request in Brazil either. God, I love it. <laughs> Every time I talk to you about it, I get more excited. I want to come. Uh, you can come next time. I don't know when that it
2: is. I'm taking five months off Well, of course. Overseas. You just, you just you know topped up the tank with the last trip to Brazil. I man. know,
3: and I've got to take some time off. I'll put the baby time in, man. I'll put the proper yards in. So I yeah. don't know when the next one will be, but um, New Year's Eve at the earliest.
2: Wow. Hmm. If that's a yes... I'm in. Really? I'm still thinking about my New Year's plan.
3: Okay, you're welcome to come. If you want to come away with me to Brazil, you can. You'd be great wingman because you wouldn't sleep in because you don't drink. Yeah. Um, You've been on the road before, which is a big one for me because you know that the main thing about touring is you don't have to talk all the time.
2: No. Um, (laughs) So
3: you know all the stuff that you need to know and you would document it with all these gadgets.
2: It's very, very exciting. Very exciting. Um, And with that, I... I bid you farewell and thank you very much for being a part of this. I stayed awake. I was worried
3: I wouldn't be able to keep talking to you, but you're fascinating the crap out of me. We didn't even talk about what you did
2: last night.
3: I, well, do you want the headline? I went on a boat cruise on the harbour with a very selected few people with Ari Emanuel who owns William Morris Endeavour. I can't tell you much more about that conversation, but I had 20 minutes with one of, them, one of my idols and he's the best conversationalist I've ever met apart from your good self.
2: Ari Emanuel is the man that uh, – was basically they, they based the exact character in Entourage off of Ari Emanuel. He quotes that character. He you has know, a 111 year old agency. With William Morris Endeavor, which he put together, man, he, hey, he was at Endeavor and he put the whole thing together. Mm-hmm. He merged the two companies. He's a machine. Never, his, I've never been, probably
3: never been more nervous to speak to him. Being my life, I'm not scared to admit it. His, He's a very influential human.
2: His brother was the sec, was the chief of staff at the White House. Mm-hmm. Now runs Chicago. His other brother is like the hand of God kind of surgeon, mm-hmm. and he is the possibly greatest player in all of show business and a man. Unlike any other for decades past or hence, it's a good boat cruise.
3: But you know what I learnt last night? Don't get nervous before you talk to people, because people that are that successful cut to the cut through the bullshit like you and I do. You just I shouldn't have worried about it for a second. Just another conversation. But, but you, with somebody, you believed,
2: you believed in what you had to pitch him?
3: I didn't really have to pitch him. He controlled the whole conversation. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but he was just sussing you out. He's like, oh, mate, he's. Scared. Yes or no? Well, do I want this man yeah. involved in my. Yeah, yeah, yeah in my yeah. life. Yeah, he's a very, yeah, he was a very interesting guy. I learned that more and more. And that often when I'm pitching, the idea is one part of it, but my execution and the kind of person that I am mm-hmm. is also a massive part of their decision because mm-hmm. they're investing in me as well as the idea. Yeah And so that's all he wanted to do He just wanted to see you
3: He just wanted to see What came out of my mouth I think I mean I was given time With him I suppose But a lot A few other people were as well But Did you see him Because you know He's one of my heroes I didn't tell him that obviously But you know In the terms of the Entertainment industry I work in And you work in He's definitely right up there And I've never wanted to meet my heroes. So I'll give you a bad example. I met James Brown and he was just a complete (laughs) arsehole. He was really rude
2: to me. a bunch of his exes would attest to that. Yeah, I was just like, oh, never meet your heroes, never meet your heroes. This is the man that would fire people and fine people in his band for missing notes. Yeah, absolutely. That was
3: disappointing. And uh, I've met a couple of people other since that I probably won't bag out because they're Still alive uh, <laughs> That's okay
2: But so you, you met this guy And and he lived uh,
3: up to everything It was like, wow That's a straight talker Amazing Yeah, really, really good Probably yeah. shouldn't say much more about it But I was lucky to get on the boat I was lucky to hang out with him And it was really, really good fun And, and you didn't mention Jeremy Piven to him once No, which would just be like Oh, God What is if you would do that um, But he does quote Would you do that? You wouldn't do it No, God, no um, He does quote it, apparently Really um, I asked him about Charlie Chaplin and I asked him about the UFC. Just stuff that I thought no one else would have bored him with. Um, yeah. Yeah.
2: Amazing. I really
3: wanted to talk to him about Saturday Night Live and getting Justin Timberlake on there because that fascinates me because he crushes, as you would say, that show. He to... cha-
2: changed Timberlake's career. Changed Timberlake's career
3: completely. Mm. And apparently he sits on the uh, – uh, Ari sits on the floor On the night that he does it Like he's actively involved in that And that would just be so cool Imagine sitting in Saturday Night Live On the floor Like in one of the director's chair Watching your artist Own Saturday Night Live To me that would be cool Just a dick in a box Oh man That guy's incredible right Really good
2: Changed uh, Timberlake's career That appearance mm. Incredible um, Goodwill Bill Kate mm-hmm. At Real DJ Goodwill At Real DJ Goodwill On Twitter At Real DJ Goodwill on Instagram or at
3: just? DJ Goodwill I've got to clean all that okay, stuff up to make mess. that happen brother yeah I've got to work it all out it's all over the shop You're my to podcast to... will be number one yours will be
2: number two and we'll just swap whatever you want <laughs> yeah. thanks for having me bye so that's DJ Goodwill you can find him on Twitter at Real DJ Goodwill you can get all of his tour dates particularly for the Brazilian stuff facebook.com slash DJ Goodwill all one word such an amazing man Oh, I just love him he's a great bloke he's a really great guy he's just and as as you heard him say I've seen him since he's had his kid and I've met the kid and he is really now he's just like no time for bullshit and it's awesome 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 if you like the show please tweet out that you listen to the show with a link to the the show page I'll put a I'll put a link on the show page just hit the box and boom you'll have tweeted out and you've helped me a million fold I wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy Hanukkah, which has already been a gone or a Happy Kwanzaa or whatever like it's a time of year when families get together and there can be some hecticity around that I've, you know that's happening with me I'm in Brisbane and we're all together for the first time in quite a while and it's um, you know I just wish you nothing but love and I wish everyone nothing but love and I don't know I'm just striving for that this week I've got an email about eight, seven, eight days ago from a buddy of mine, Nick, who runs an airline. Um, And he said, hey, I'm going to take a light plane from New York, four or five people in it, and we're just going to head south. Don't really know where we're going to go. Don't really know where we're going to stop. But we'll probably end up in Miami on New Year's Eve and then turn around and come back. Are you in? And I said, fuck yes, I'm in. So I'm nearly 40. And life's too short not to say yes to stuff, so I'm gonna say yes. I'm just gonna say yes. Feel the yes and yes it anyway. I'm just gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. But that's next week, so I'm like, I'm just letting you know now that that's gonna happen. It's been really good being in Australia. I'll really miss it. I'll really miss it. I, I miss LA. I miss the hustle. I miss you know the development process. I miss what I'm working on there. I miss my friends. Um, I miss cycling. I miss running over there. Um, i try and craft it so I can live in both countries, I think. Is that too much to ask? Is, that, is it? I mean, really? I'm going to do what I can because, I look, I love, I love, love Australia. But I often say when people ask me what's the difference between Sydney and LA, it's, which is better. It's like trying to say, well, what's better, the best sex you ever had or the best meal you've ever eaten? they're two completely different things and they both do different things for your memory and they both do different things for your future, they both exist and we both covet them and we both chase them down and yeah, it's just different to be over there it doesn't mean I don't love Australia and don't miss it, clean beaches and friendly people and clean tap water and just in boundless possibility of this nation it's just really fantastic, I've, I've very happy about Australia of what it can be makes me very excited so take care Um, do some sun salutations for me paddle Labrador made me feel better today Um, try meditation I did it's working alright I'm slowly getting better at it Um, and thanks for listening thank you thank you thank you in a bajillion ways thank you have a fantastic Fantastic Christmas. Eat heaps, have a nap, sleep really well, and dream of beautiful things. I'll talk to you next week.
0: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.